Hello, my friends. I have some good news for those who follow opinion polls. And I think we all do because we're all trying to figure out what the future holds. A poll doesn't tell us about the future. It's a snapshot in time now, but you can see trends. And the new poll by Abacus Data suggests that the conservatives, well, they're doing better than ever against the liberals. I'll take you through the numbers, but first let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. And, you know, it's eight bucks a month, but you get my video show every night. Sheila Gunn-Reed has a weekly show. And I'd like you to think of that eight bucks as a way of keeping Rebel News strong because we don't take any dough from Trudeau. That's why we can be so honest and independent. And eight bucks might not sound like a lot of dough to you, but it adds up for us. So please consider going to rebelnewsplus.com, clicking subscribe. You'll get that great video content. And you'll also get the satisfaction in knowing that you're helping us go. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, the Liberals hit their lowest polling numbers ever since Trudeau took office, at least. I'll show you the stats. It's June 14th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. You know, the other day someone said, Ezra, Rebel News is too negative. You're so negative all the time. And I was, uh, you know, defiant at first, but then I thought about it. I thought, no, we, I guess we are negative, but that's because the news, by definition, is about controversy or conflict. We're talking about the Ukraine-Russia war because there's a war there. We don't talk about the France-England war because there's no war. There's really nothing to say. And a lot of these controversies, you know, there is good and evil at play, and we like to root for the side we think is good, and the other side is their opinions. But by definition, I think news is conflict-oriented. But I take the point. I mean, sometimes it's stressful. You don't want to hear about every problem. You want to respite sometimes. And so today, I'm going to have some news that I would call calming or positive. And then as soon as I thought of that, I thought, well, the other side, liberals or leftists, will find this news stressful. But my point is today... I think I have a little bit of good news, at least for people who think of themselves as freedom-oriented and conservative-oriented, and it's in the form of a public opinion poll. So it's not a huge reason to feel positive, but it's a little data point, as they say. And I refer to the new poll by Abacus Data. It's historically a liberal firm. You may know it was founded, uh, and I think it was chaired at first by Bruce Anderson, senior Trudeau liberal. On its board is Perry Tsurgis, to this day, senior Trudeau liberal. Um, but I think they do try to be accurate. I think all pollsters want to be accurate. If you're way off and then an election comes and shows what the actual uh, stats are, you can't do that too many times before people don't believe in you. So I think most pollsters genuinely do want to be accurate. But of course, the devil, devil is in the details. Let me give you an example. I mean, doesn't it all come down to how the questions are phrased? If you said... Do you support taking climate action to fight the climate crisis? You're probably going to get a larger response saying yes. Then should we increase the carbon tax next year, even if it means $173 more you pay in taxes? Or You see what I mean? Same thing you're testing. It's really you're testing the language and people's reaction to it. So the devil is in the details. But um, 
I like looking at Abacus, partly because I know their, their chief statistician, David Coletto, who's a good egg. But because of their establishment liberal roots, I put some faith in them when they criticize their side of the aisle. It's like dog bites man, that's not news, but man bites dog, that is news. That comes back to the controversy again, doesn't it? It's the same reason I quote the New York Times uh, for things that are positive about Republicans or negative about Democrats, because you know if the New York Times, the ultimate Democrat machine, is saying so, well, it's got to be true because they don't like to say so. Here's the latest report from Abacus, and you'll remember I showed you one graph just the other day from this. The, uh, the story on uh, the Abacus uh, data uh, website is Canadian politics. There's a broad desire for change, but discomfort with alternatives. Abacus data poll. Let me read a little bit here. From June 6 to 11, Abacus data conducted a national survey of 2,000 adults and um, so it's a fair sample size. I, I showed you this one the other day. Overall, 81% of Canadians believe it is time for a change in government. 20% believe Justin Trudeau and the Liberals deserve to be reelected. But among the 81% who want change, 31% say there isn't a good alternative to the Liberals they are comfortable with. It's an interesting nuance, isn't it? But still, 81% wanting change. That's an astonishing number. And you know it pains a liberal firm to say so. Let me read a little bit more. Among those who want change and think there's a good alternative, 56% would vote conservative. 25% NDP and 6% would vote liberal. Yeah, I don't even know how you get change by voting liberal. That's, that's sort of odd. And I don't think we should be too surprised that 56 people who want, percent of people who want to throw out the liberals would vote conservative. Uh, if they wanted NDP, well, they got that now, don't they, with Jagmeet Singh, who literally will say yes to anything Trudeau demands uh, to be part of the coalition. I, I don't even know what he gets in return other than he doesn't lose his seat in a new election. Here, I'll read some more. Among the 31% who want change but don't think there's a good alternative they're comfortable with, 33% would vote liberal, 22% NDP, 90% conservative, and 14% Bloc Québécois. Again, I, I think that's to be expected. I mean, if you don't like the liberals but are going to stick with them anyways, you're probably not a conservative booster. Let me read just a little more. Despite the desire for change, 46% of adults say they would consider voting liberal, an accessible voter pool that hasn't changed much over the past two and a half years. This means while there is a desire for change, many haven't completely closed the door to voting liberal. And again, that, that rings true. Uh, I mean, it, I, I think there's a lot of people who don't like Trudeau deeply. They despise him. I, I think it's sort of like uh, if you were never that into someone, you, you, uh, you know, you're not that into disliking them. But if you were a fan, if you were emotionally invested in Trudeau and then feel like he broke your heart, then maybe you hate him. So 46% of people are open to the possibility of voting liberal. That means 54% would never, ever, ever consider it. I think that rings true also. I think a lot of people have fallen out of love, and I'll talk about that in a little bit with British Columbia. Uh, there's a graph here that shows uh, party support over time, and, it's, and they say if an election was held today, the Conservatives would get 35% up to, since mid-May, the Liberals at 28% down to, the NDP at 21% up three with the Bloc at 7% nationally. Numerically, this is the lowest we've had the Liberals over the past year. 
I think that's very interesting, and it's a wide enough margin to be beyond the margin of error. Look at BC there. I think that's very interesting. Liberals are at 22% in BC, deep in third place. And it makes me think, is that the Jody Wilson-Raybould effect? Because I think that's what broke BC's affection for Trudeau. When he had her as sort of his BC captain, and when he trusted her and associated with her, she looked good, sounded good, indigenous woman, smart, uh, very ethical. Uh, you could disagree with some of her policies, and I certainly did, but I think she was an outstanding representative of BC, and then he threw her out, not because she was bad, but because she was good because she was the most honest person in cabinet who would not let some of Trudeau's cronies off the hook in a criminal trial. The way he threw her out and how it showed that all of his lovey-dovey talk about indigenous people was just BS, I think that is a permanent wound to the Liberal Party in BC, and it certainly looks that way. Um, the Conservatives are surprisingly strong out there to me, and 8% is siphoned off to the Green Party. Uh, maybe enough to win one or two seats. Uh, in the past, sometimes the Greens, if it's a strategic voting time, come back to the fold. I don't know if that's going to happen this time for the reason I just mentioned. I think people have fallen out of love with Trudeau, young people, minorities, uh, indigenous people, some environmentalists. So I think that they will continue to vote Green, as a kind of protest. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, you can see there the prairies are a total CPC wipeout for the, for the other parties. I mean, look at how strong it is. When you have that kind of vote, you're picking up almost all the seats. Look at the PPC, the People's Party, Maxine Bernier's party, at 4%. That's around where you might expect them to be. And again, will that make a difference in a few ridings. If if there's some ridings in districts where the Liberals and the NDP and the CPC are within a few percent and the PPC gets four or five or ten percent could make a difference. We'll see what happens in that upcoming Manitoba by-election where Maxime Bernier himself is running. If he were to win, I think that would change a lot of things, but I think that's an uphill battle in a long shot. Obviously, Ontario is the battleground. It just has so many seats and it's tied, basically. The conservatives and the liberals. But if you write off the deep Toronto downtown where the conservatives have never won in decades, and because the liberals might win and might win with a supermajority, but they only win the riding once, I think that these numbers suggest that the CPC, the Conservative Party of Canada, has a real chance to rack up a lot of wins, not only in the rural parts, but in the suburbs. Uh, it's just my own personal analysis. In Quebec, seems to me like it's liberal Montreal versus the bloc in the rural parts in Quebec City. I don't think the CPC, the Conservative Party, will punch through in many places. They really never have. Atlanta, Canada is pretty strong liberal. It's really their last uh, dominant place in the country, the last region where they're strong. But the chance of conservative wins there, uh, it's certainly not going to be that one time like Trudeau swept the Atlantic provinces. That's definitely not going to happen. I think there is a wild card, and here's what it is. When a pollster asks you how you're going to vote, you know it's a hypothetical. Nothing turns on it. And so you can indulge your conscience and say, well, I really like the NDP, or I really like the Greens, or I really like the People's Party, because you know that it's just a uh, 
simulation. You're just asking, telling a pollster that. But in a campaign, if it's close, will those smart, smaller parties hold their votes or will they coalesce around a safe second choice? If you look at the Alberta provincial election uh, not too long ago, that's exactly what happened. Danielle Smith pretty much held the conservative vote that Jason Guinea got a few years ago, but all the small parties on the left shrunk down well beneath 1%, and they all coalesced around the NDP. They all said anybody but the conservatives, and they looked around, and Rachel Notley's NDP were the choice, and they, so they went for it. Will that happen here? If it's a Pierre Polyev versus Justin Trudeau battle royal, and if the media succeeds, as I'm sure they'll try, to paint Polyev as a demonic, dangerous choice, you might well see some of the NDP voters and the Green voters say, you know what, I'd like to vote NDP or Green, but we just have to vote strategically and stop Pierre Polyev at all costs. I could picture that happening. And Jagmeet Singh certainly hasn't made a name for himself. He's basically been a me too for Justin Trudeau the whole time. So it's possible to see these NDP numbers collapse towards the Liberals. I mean, it's hard to think how Justin Trudeau hasn't co-opted every single NDP policy from spending to taxing to environmental extremism to transgenderism. I mean, really, what has Trudeau not done that the NDP would propose to do? I want to show you a chart I find hopeful. Look at this chart here of who would vote for the parties by age. More conservative voters in the under 30s than liberals. Do you even remember that happening before? Yeah, there's a lot of NDP youth also, given how woke our schools are. But for the conservatives to lead the liberals in people who are under 30, I think that's new. The 30 to 44s, that's young families trying to pay the bills. The conservatives have a slight edge over the liberals, and that rises with age as people have something to lose, as people acquire property, are worried about crime, have families, are worried about their kids. The more seasoned a voter becomes, the more likely they're going to vote conservative, the more likely they're going to vote at all, actually. I want to show you something I thought was interesting also, and I hope you don't mind me going so deep into this poll. I, I just found it interesting because whenever the liberal pollster says things are looking bad for the liberals, I, I want to see what motivates them to say that because they're uh, playing against type, aren't they? So this chart shows party leader impressions. Trudeau's negatives keep on growing. He certainly had a very long honeymoon, but like I said before, uh, you know, friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. I think more and more people see through Justin Trudeau or at least feel like maybe he deceived them. Now, Polyev, too, his negatives are growing, but his positives are growing, too. I think that's another way of saying he's becoming better known. When he be was chosen leader by the party, I don't think he was that well known, but his strong presence on social media, and I think he's been doing a good job in Parliament. So people don't like him, but more and more people do like him. Now, here's what I think is sort of goofy, is Jagmeet Singh has a positive impression, but I just don't think he's a serious factor. And that's my fear, actually. You tell me, when was the last time Jagmeet Singh said anything that you can remember what he said, other than he's going to support Trudeau no matter what? Like, has he taken a stand on any policy that you remember? Has he uh, taken a stand on any event? Has he made a proposal of any sort that you can remember, or is it all mar, 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 just sort of background mumbling? I, I certainly can't hear it. I mean, maybe it's enough that he sort of looks cool and looks 
diverse and maybe people will vote for him just for that. But I don't know if they're going to, if they're that uh, soft and emotional, they're probably going to vote for the drama teacher, Justin Trudeau. But I think it's hopeful. This poll is hopeful. And I think this trend is fairly solid. It's not a little blip. Pierre Polyev has basically led the poll since he became leader. And for the first time in memory, the media is actually criticizing Trudeau. Now, their criticisms these days are mainly about China influence. And some people just don't care about that. Some people care more about pocketbook issues, about unemployment, jobs, and the cost of living, and inflation. Those are all real issues. But it's interesting to me that the media has turned on Trudeau in a way. Again, not so much because the China issue resonates with voters, but because the media well, the media was always Trudeau's biggest supporters, and maybe they themselves are finally falling out of love. Stay with us for more. Well, there are interesting people anywhere and everywhere, and if you don't think so, maybe you're not interesting. There's fascinating details about every person you meet, but I believe that there are more interesting people per capita in the United Kingdom than almost anywhere else. In fact, I, I think despite its woke culture, it still values individuals who have idiosyncrasies, who are clever in certain ways. I, I feel that whenever I go to that country, and one of the most interesting people in the United Kingdom, in my opinion, is a man named Lawrence Fox. He's an actor. In fact, he recently played Hunter Biden in fellow McAleer's movie, My Son Hunter. He's the leader of a political party called the Reclaim Party. He's a journalist. He's a commentator on GP News. I don't know how he has time to do it all. And now he is running in the by-election to succeed Boris Johnson, the former prime minister, in the district of Uxbridge. What a pleasure to catch up with Lawrence Fox. Lawrence, great to see you again. Um, I hope you don't mind my flattery. I don't know if, even if it is flattery. I think there are more colorful characters in the UK than other places because you're still allowed to be a colorful character in the UK. Am I wrong on that? Just about, yeah. You know, um, just about, Ezra. Um, as you saw yesterday with the uh, the way that our, our wonderful, beautiful flag, which both of my grandfathers were wounded uh, fighting for, is being replaced uh, all the way down the main shopping street in London with this uh, vile, progressive migraine flag. Uh, and the Union Jack was cast to the ground. So I, I've got a feeling we're under occupation, actually, in the UK. I, I'm not sure you are able to... To, to be yourself, you know, as much as, as we were in the past. You know, I want to show that video you're talking about. I, You know, Pride Month, or as Justin Trudeau says in Canada, Pride Season. So I guess we've got three months of it here. Um, in London, it really is rampant. I want to show a video uh, that speaks for itself here. Take a look at this. This is what you were referring to about flags coming down. Take a look. You're taking the wrong fucking flag down, mate. Yeah, well, you think I don't know that? Well, you know that. At least you know that. 100%. You know what, what's sort of heartbreaking about that video, Lawrence, is that the working class blokes who are taking down the Union Jack, 
They know what they're doing is wrong. They know it offends them. They say, yeah, we're taking the wrong one down. By the way, they drop it on the ground, which I think is a shame. But they do it anyways. And I, I saw some commentary on Twitter, people saying, well, listen, they got to pay the bills. They got to raise their family. They don't want to get fired. I don't know. I think there's something deeply depressing about people who say, yes, I know what I'm doing is wrong, but I will take down the flag of my own country and drop it in the dirt because the high ups told me to. I think that was a very sad scene there. It was a tragic scene. And, um, you know, it, it's this amazing thing about about the, the progressive woke movement and the child mutilation, child sacrifice movement is it hides behind um, homosexuality. So essentially, if you criticise it and you've got a problem with, uh, you know, child mutilation and transgenderism in general, which is, uh, which is in my view, satanic, the minute you criticise it, you're called uh, a homophobe, which you're not because most people in Britain are in hugely tolerant and supportive of gay and lesbian rights, hard fought for over the years. But, um, you know, we've seen over the last three years, over, over lockdowns and over uh, mandatory vaccines and various things, that there is an overwhelming cowardice within the population. Mm -hmm. And people are terrified of, of the repercussions of standing up and saying no. So what we're witnessing here with the, with the flying of this, this grotesque artifice, uh, political artifice of a flag, which is spreading around the West, is a sin of omission. Uh, rather than a sin of commission. And, you know, anyone, in my view, anyone who walks under it and, and who doesn't do anything they can to remove it is is complicit in it, really. And, and I know that puts people in a very difficult position. But if we don't draw the line somewhere and say, look, this is not a flag men and women have served under. This is not a, man that, a flag that men and women have died for. This flag is a political artifice to bring in uh, you know, a sort of centralised secular set of values that actually, uh, not only do I not agree with them, I stand wholeheartedly against every single thing that that vile, disgusting flag stands for. The division of people down the lines of sexuality and race, uh, among among many, many other things. It's the most regressive, horrible thing done in the name of kindness and inclusion. You know, a few months ago, I visited Oxford University for the first time since I was a teenager. And it, it's an incredible uh edifice it's an incredible monument to civilization and education and, it, and it's very exciting to be in that city of learning but it was immediately obvious to me that every building every every college the only flags flying from this university were those pride flags not just gay pride the traditional rainbow the lgbt Q2SL plus, like the, the trans stuff. Every building had the trans flag flying over them. I couldn't find a single building in Oxford that had the Union Jack flying, not one. And I went into the main uh, bookstore in Oxford, and the first thing you're gr greeted with when you walked in is a table with maybe 50 books on transgenderism. And I agree with you. This is very different than, I think, what used to be called gay rights. I think there's broad support for gay rights across the West. But I think what happened is the LGB has been hijacked by the T, SLQ2+, like it's, it's almost ridiculous now. And I, I think that's what you're saying. Am I right? Is yeah. When you talk about child mutilation, you're talking about cutting off body parts because some uh, guidance counselor whips up a, a, you know, a confused teenager. I think that's what you're talking about. Am I right? Yeah, it is. You know, the, the thing about gay and lesbian people is it's, it's love. 
right? It, it's love. It's it maybe it may be between two people of the same sex, and some people may have an issue with that. That's fine. I I also don't mind that if people have an issue with that. But ultimately, it's a love based thing. Uh, transgenderism is satanic because it's uh, it's about mutilating healthy bodies that that wouldn't be mutilated in any other situation whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. It, it's what it's done, like like the like this horrible progressive woke um nihilistic movement it does is it is it like a virus it infects the cell so it infects the cell of race for example it uses race to further its cause by saying you know uh, dividing people again down the lines of race it, it used uh, me too as a way of doing it and and now it's settled on transgenderism but fortunately um it's not transgenderism is not a, a 50 49 51 issue it's it's an 80 20 issue at best so our our friends on the progressive left who have overstepped and as you can see with all the boycotts in america and um and certainly what's going on here is for the you know this time last year i posted four pride flags flags together and uh to form a swastika because that's exactly what it is it's a fl flag that you cannot criticize it's not been uh voted for by the public or supported by the public and i was removed from social media and forced to apologize this year uh, people have come out and, and are posting the same thing and and it's not it's not a it's not a homophobic attack to criticize transgenderism it's to protect children what comes after that what comes after that is the minor attracted person the paedophile and and you know as tucker carlson said on his uh one of his broadcasts the other day these are taboos in society there's a reason why we do not allow sex between uh adults and children it's a taboo and it's a taboo for a reason and for some reason the progressive left think that these boundaries should be pushed and uh in the cause of liberalism and actually it's not it's satanism in my view yeah well it's it it's stunning how this transgenderism movement have has come from the fringest of the fringes a decade ago. I mean, it, it was barely a decade ago that uh, transgenderism was regarded as a mental illness by the American Psychiatric Association, but they had a, a vote, like a committee had a vote, and they just said, no, we're not going to call that illness anymore. And then you had a few cultural vanguards. You had you know, a TV show called Transparent, and you had um, Bruce Jenner call himself Caitlyn Jenner. You had a few, you know, the camel put the nose in the tent, and then the floodgates opened. I mean, it, what's so incredible is the flag, the meaning of that flag, especially the transgenderism flag, is not do you tolerate other people. It's are you in sync with our agenda, including, as you say, the mutilation of children. And it's like salute the flag or be fired. They recently sacked uh, a major league ball player here in Toronto because he dared say he wasn't with the program. They first they humiliated him and then they sacked him. I don't know how. How do you think this? Do you think this will register in an election? You're running in the by-election to succeed Boris Johnson. Are any people talking about this? It seems to me this is one of those issues that sometimes called the under news. Mickey Kouse calls it the under news. Lots of people are talking about it around the water cooler, around the coffee uh, machine, but they don't talk about it in noisily because they'll get in trouble. It's not reported maybe in the pages of the newspaper, but people talk about it one-on-one -on -one when they feel safe. Is this issue going to move the needle at all in your by-election in Uxbridge? Well, listen, there's going to the Conservatives and Labour as across the world, uh, Conservative parties and uh, more liberal left-leaning parties are the same thing. 
nowadays. They're exactly the same thing. They push the same agenda, be it over the climate, be it over immigration, and be it over this um, child sacrifice. So I don't care about anything other than to offer voters, as one always should, an alternative. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it, they're not, uh, these things haven't maybe yet bubbled to the surface, but any conservative-minded person who wishes to hold on to their culture and protect the value of their culture, certainly their own flag, without, you know, we're shamed in this country for supporting the Union Jack, and yet they fly this migraine flag everywhere. And as you say, if you don't worship at the altar of it, you're cancelled, removed, other than and, and labelled any a variety of things. I want to talk to say the quiet part, part out loud in this by-election, which is to turn around and say we have an uncontrolled immigration problem in our country. We had over 700,000 migrants into this country. We've had yesterday, we had in France last week, we had an attack on uh, children in a playground by a mentally ill migrant. We've just had a mentally ill migrant murder innocent young students and people at a bus stop in Nottingham in the United Kingdom yesterday. We do not take our immigration problem in this country seriously. And the Conservative government who promised in their 2019 manifesto that they would reduce immigration to the tens of thousands have just overseen the biggest year of immigration in British history. Hmm. So I am sorry. That is not that is a big issue for the people of this country. The newspapers may not wish to talk about it and the Conservatives may not wish to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to talk about the fact that this climate scam, which is being foisted on us day in, day out, all of the parties have this embedded into their manifestos that we're heading towards five minutes to midnight before the planet is somehow subsumed by the giant sun monster. It's absolute rubbish. It's a crime against our children. People, uh, our children are terrified about their futures and they and they feel that they, there is no future to live for, hence why breeding rates across the West are plummeting. Hmm. We've got to have a look at our culture our language. We must not divide down the lines of race and sexuality and create these false grievance hierarchies. And these are the things that I want to talk about. And I will take them to the electorate and I will ask the conservative people who would vote conservative who are going to stay at home because they are so sick and tired of the conservatives. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say to them, lend me your vote and I will stand up for the values that you stand up for and want to protect. Yeah, so by I'm elections, so go ahead. I, I'm essentially just saying I'm a conservative. There aren't any conservatives, so I'll be one. You know, one of the exciting things about by-elections is that voters know that they can do something more dramatic without changing the entire government. I mean, sometimes during a, a vote, people vote strategically. They say, well, he's the lesser of two evils, and he's only. I don't want to spend my vote on the reclaim party because maybe Labor will beat the conservatives. But in a by-election... Uh, you're not going to alter the math in Parliament, so maybe you'll have some luck. What's the date of the by-election in Uxbridge? Well, they haven't moved the writ yet. So there's, you know, all these lovely old British parliamentary traditions. You've got to move the writ. You've then got to announce the by-election. It has to happen within a certain number of days. So it looks like the by-election will happen either on the 20th or the 27th of um July, June, where are we now? June, July, and um, and it, but you know if it doesn't, it'll be September. But I imagine they'll want to get the bad news out of the way before the summer, so they can come back regrouped to lie to the people again, time again, time and again, which is which is what's been happening for years now. Well, uh, it's interesting, and I'm glad you're doing it, and and I know that you have the actor's knack of getting attention, and I think that's very important because. We are in a battle of substance, but people don't listen to you unless you are 
a creative communicator, and you're certainly that. Hey, I want to ask you one last, last question before you go. I mentioned that you're an actor, and you're from a, a family of actors, and I think that's very valuable. I mean, Ronald Reagan used his skill as an actor to communicate so effectively. Uh, he, he really had an EQ, as people say. Like, he knew how to connect with people. Justin Trudeau, who is an atrocious man ideologically, uses his acting to connect with people in a way I find frustrating. Tell me how the acting world, fellow actors, have uh, responded to your politics, including your recent role in fellow McAleer's movie, My Son Hunter, which was, you know, I can imagine that just drove the left crazy over in the UK, just like it did in America. How is, are there any other secret conservatives in the acting world in the UK? Uh, there are a huge number of secret conservatives in the acting world in the UK. But as you know, you and I well know, uh, based around the content that's being produced by Hollywood and the streaming services, that uh, that's going to be where uh, this woke movement goes for its last stand. You know, as it dissipates everywhere else, uh, show business is going to be about you know, people that have paid £100,000 a week talking about grievance and oppression. So um, you can tell, it's very easy to spot a conservative in show business. They don't do interviews. Yeah. That's the way you spot them. They just don't do interviews. And you you can, you, I know many, many. But as they see what happened to me and, you know, many, many others during this horrible sort of Maoist struggle session life that we now live in, you you pay a heavy price for speaking the truth in this world, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Congratulations on your recent successes. Good luck in the Uxbridge by-election. We'll keep our eyes peeled. And we know that whether it's in Parliament or in the media, you'll continue to be a force for freedom. Lawrence Fox, thanks for your time. Welcome back. Your letters to me, A. Krentz 1000 says, a federal judge with common sense? Maybe there is hope in Canada. You're referring to my visit to the federal court yesterday. Uh, it was quite, I walked in and with our lawyers, we had two lawyers there, Scott Nickel and Chad Williamson, and there were seven people for the government. And I know how much we've spent on this lawsuit. And I can only imagine that the federal government has spent half a million dollars so far just so Stephen Gilbo can block me on Twitter. It's so nuts. And I say again, the reason I think this case is important is because if they can block me with something that trivial, they can block me with something important. So we want to nip this in the bud. Um, I just want to be clear that yesterday was not the main hearing. We didn't have that. We had a little skirmish over whether or not this one piece of evidence was admissible. But I like the fact that the judge said yes to it. And I like the fact that the government was squawking so much about it, which, and, and they lost, which tells me that they're worried about it. So yeah, I am hopeful. I don't want to let my hopes get ahead of me, but I am hopeful about this case. Kane Terrio 2603 says, congrats on the win, and congrats to your legal team. I'm obviously biased, but love that they're from Alberta. You and your team at Rebel do important work. Never let them silence you. I was very pleased with our team, and they did great. And again, it was a victory, but it was just a battle. The main war is yet to come. Cheryl L. says, what about us common folks? Do our MPs or MPPs or public health officers get to block or select who can reply on tweets? Bravo for Rebel. Glad you won. We won a skirmish. Boy, I hope you don't think we won the whole war because we didn't. I, I hope I didn't oversell the victory yesterday. We had an important victory. We won, despite them having seven lawyers. 
they didn't like the victory we had, but the real battle is still to come. This was a preliminary battle on whether or not some important evidence was to be admitted. And the judge said, yes, absolutely. And that made me feel great. But we're not out of the woods yet. But to answer your question, can the government block the common people? I mean, I, I'm an ordinary person. The fact that I'm a journalist, I suppose, gives me one more argument. I can't do my job as a journalist without access to that information. But Really, in Canada, journalists don't particularly have any more rights than anyone else. If you look at our Charter of Rights, Section 2 is called Fundamental Freedoms. Freedom of thought, freedom of belief, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of association. These all apply to people, whether they're journalists or politicians or truck drivers or you know, just anybody, as long as you're a Canadian. In fact, they, they apply to non-citizens who are here too. So... Yeah. And the thing about Rebel News is that because we have a team of supporters, we're able to crowdfund the cost to sue. No normal human being would sue if they were blocked on Twitter because who's got the dough? But if enough rebels think that this is an important case, you know, chip in 50 bucks here, 100 bucks there, we can pay for it. So that's why Rebel does a lot of this litigation. We're just in a position to do it. Hopefully, we'll be able to set the precedent for everybody. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom. Mm -hmm.